Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services rep, and I am so happy to bring you this week's episode, which was put on in part by our very own Mr. Sunshine, Paul Souza, who brings us two important segments um, from the environmental world for the podcast this week. First, in lieu of a market update, which will be back and certainly action-packed next week with more information about the DMC program that's been emerging, Paul gives us a quick update about letters which went out to Central Valley Dairy Producers this past week regarding their parcel numbers and how their different properties are regulated by the Water Board, whether they're in the Dairy Program or Irrigated Lands Program. After that update... Paul had a sit-down discussion with Aisha Massell and Ryan Flaherty of Sustainable Conservation, our very valuable partners to Western United Dairies, regarding their groundwater recharge program and how interested farmers can implement this project on their dairies. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We'll jump right in with Paul on his first update. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Did your dairy recently receive a certified letter from the Regional Water Quality Control Board? If you're located in the Central Valley, the answer to that should be yes. That water board sent letters to all permitted dairies regarding the regulation of irrigated parcels. We've discussed this on the podcast before and also in our weekly newsletter. The issue is that the regional board is regulating irrigated parcels through the Irrigated Lands Regulatory Program, but they are missing some parcels. They are cross-checking that with the Dairy Annual Report and are still missing some parcels. So the letter is asking uh, owners of dairies to make sure that all parcels that they own are regulated in one of those two programs. It is the dairy owner's choice how he wants to regulate that land, either in the Irrigated Lands Program if, for example, say it's almonds uh, that do not receive manure or in the dairy general order, um, if it's, for example, land near the dairy uh, that receives manure, lagoon water uh, to grow forage crops for the dairy. If all of your land and parcels that you own are currently covered under the dairy general order, there is nothing you need to do in response to this letter other than let the water board know during your next annual report that you have received this letter and that all of your parcels are included in that annual report, which is due July 1st of next year. If you do have parcels uh, that you have not included in your Dairy General Order or in the Irrigated Lands Program, then you need to decide how you want to regulate those parcels and move those either into the Dairy General Order and include them in your annual report or contact your local Irrigated Lands Program for coverage in that way. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. 
Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, I'm Paul Souza with Western United Dairies, Director of Environmental Services. And uh, this week we have um, a couple of special guests to talk about uh, groundwater recharge and everything around that, uh, Sigma and the drought, uh, a lot going on, a lot of interest uh, from dairy producers in this uh, topic right now. We have uh, Ryan and Aisha to uh, talk about this. Uh, they've recently developed uh, some recharge guidelines um, and uh, have been talking to us about it and uh, glad to have them on and have them um, tell us what they've learned. Um, you guys wanna say hello and introduce yourselves a little bit? Sure, hi, Paul, good to talk to you. Ryan Flaherty with Sustainable Conservation. And my name is Aisha Massell, and I am the director of our Water for the Future program at Sustainable Conservation. Welcome, and thank you. Um, I have worked with Sustainable Conservation for quite some time. Uh, pretty much my whole time here at Western United, uh, I have known Sustainable Conservation and worked closely with you guys. Uh, I really appreciate that relationship. Uh, Sustainable Conservation is uh, an environmental group with the focus of working uh, with folks that control the resources to improve the environment. And I really appreciate that perspective. Um, they really want to achieve benefits. Uh, you know, so like what we're talking about here today, uh, recharge benefits groundwater, benefits communities uh, that depend on groundwater, benefits agriculture, benefits the environment. Uh, everybody wins. And that's the kind of places that sustainable conservation gets engaged uh, and works with us is uh, you know, on win-win situations. Uh, we've worked on a number of issues, um, CIG grant for the manure subsurface drip recently, and uh, that was a, a grant that Sustainable Conservation got and Western United, myself, Paul Souza was um, kind of an advisor on that grant, um, always looking to the industry uh, for information and for connection and is Sustainable Conservation going the right direction? I've had um, multiple conversations as Sustainable Conservation is uh, looking at their annual, the year ahead, what are their priorities? What are they going to do? They've interviewed me a, a number of times to make sure that, you know, their, that what their focus is, what the needs are in the dairy industry. And so I really appreciate that relationship and have had um, a lot of connection there and, and uh, you know, always look forward uh, to working with sustainable conservation. Um, sustainable conservation is focused a lot on dairies. Also, I just mentioned the manure subsurface drip. Uh, there's been the conservation tillage work. Um, digesters, uh, just a number of things that sustainable conservation has been involved with with dairies. They, they work with landowners, they know, they recognize, uh, you know, dairymen own the land. They're the ones that have the choices of how to manage their land and they're looking to incentivize uh, and help people um, to make choices that are both good for business and good for the environment. And so um, it, it's great to have you here. And today we're focusing on your recent work on um, recharge. So. I'm wondering uh, what kind of prompted your work in this area of the recharge guidelines. I know, you know, Sigma was recently adopted and uh, we're in the drought. You guys kind of want to go from there? Sure. And I'll just say before I pass it over to Asia, Paul, uh, right back at you and Western United. It's just, it's been a great partnership through the years uh, and working together to figure out, um, you know, how can we help producers stay viable, stay profitable, um, and also um, uh, you know, help promote a, a healthy environment that we all depend on here in the Valley, uh, us, our families, 
uh, and our future generations. So really appreciate the partnership. And um, I know we've we've talked a lot about dairies uh, and and dairy challenges and solutions. And so I'm just excited to introduce Asia to talk a little bit about some of our other work that um, that you know is related to to all agricultural production in the valley, particularly as we face uh, sigma and, and increasing uncertainty about water supplies. So with that, I'll uh, pass it over to Asia. Great, thanks everyone. Um, so I'm really here to talk about some of our work at the intersection of water quantity and water quality. And this is a very exciting nexus that really cuts at the heart of water management. Um, as you all know, droughts, floods, and wildfires are a quintessential part of the California experience. But with climate change, we're expecting to see even more severe events in the future. And this also comes with the related issue of groundwater depletion that tends to accompany droughts because growers pump more groundwater in drought years when there is little or no surface water supply. And so after years of droughts and pumping, many of our groundwater aquifers are now in really bad shape. And the last multi-year drought prompted the passage of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, or SIGMA, in 2014. And as groundwater sustainability agencies, known as GSAs, are coming to grips with how to manage groundwater under SIGMA, there's been a real growing interest in using excess flood flows in rivers to spread out onto the land, seep into the soils, and recharge our aquifers, thereby addressing two issues at once by reducing flood risk and improving groundwater supply. And so this is often referred to as flood mar or flood managed aquifer recharge. So some water districts have been actively managing recharge for many years by operating local recharge basins and with great results. Um, but this approach is relatively expensive and limited in geographic impact. And so due to the sheer amount of acreage in agricultural production, the concept of spreading water onto agricultural fields gained a lot of traction in recent years as a key to help us replenish our aquifers at the scale that is needed to address the severe groundwater overdraft problem. And this is often referred to as on-farm recharge. However, many people, including farmers, community members, and scientists, are concerned that contaminants or nutrients on these same fields may be mobilized by water percolating through the soil and end up inadvertently contaminating drinking water wells. So with all that background, um, we at Sustainable Conservation embarked on developing water quality guidance for on-farm recharge about two years ago. And our basic question was, how can on-farm recharge lead to clean drinking water, or at least prevent water quality problems? And we focused the potential impacts of on-farm recharge on salts, and in particular, nitrate. We included a real robust stakeholder engagement throughout the process with over 30 individuals representing a wide range of perspectives and expertise, including scientists, uh, water managers, um, these include irrigation districts, groundwater sustainability agencies, and their consultants. We also included environmental justice and conservation NGOs, government staff, and growers and industry representatives. And so the result of all this effort is two water quality documents, which we refer to as version 1.0. And this nickname acknowledges that there's still a lot of work to do in solidifying the science and developing tools to support on-farm recharge. 
So um, you can find this work at uh, online at suscon.org. That's S-U-S-C-O-N.org under our technical resources page. And I'll just give you a, a real brief overview of our findings. Um, so what we found is pretty straightforward and led to some productive thinking. And one of our main findings is something we all know, but we thought was important to state at the beginning that nitrate contamination is likely to get worse before it gets better in many places in the valley, regardless of any management actions that we do, such as recharge. Um, really, the previous application of nitrogen fertilizers on farm fields, also known as legacy load or legacy nitrogen, will take many years to move through the groundwater system. So given this situation, our research determined that the single best thing we can do to protect groundwater quality now and into the future is to improve agronomic practices to minimize any further nitrogen leaching below the root zone. Uh, we recommend, yes, go ahead. So uh, uh, it's kind of interesting. I think when farmers look at this, uh, you know, they're looking at water supply. Um, you know, you were looking at another aspect of this uh, that it really has an impact on, and that is water quality. Um, I've heard of, you know, uh, issues where farmers recharge and a community nearby would get a spike in nitrate temporarily because of the changes in, in uh, you know, flows of groundwater because of that recharge. And so um, it's, it, but it could also be a potential benefit. Uh, you know, if we're recharging high quality water, uh, you know, our communities can benefit, but we need to manage that properly. And so you guys really looked at that nexus between supply and the water quality impacts and trying to avoid negative and trying to really find where those positive impacts are at? Yeah, and you know, through our papers, we developed what we think is a pretty useful kind of framework for a risk assessment. So, you know, that initial spike that you're talking about, um, yes, can resolve quickly, may have occurred anyway without recharge. But what we want to do is make sure that we do avoid unintended consequences because either short-term, even you know, short-term impacts can be really you know, significant for people who are depending on that water for drinking. Um, so what we wanted to do was try to highlight, you know, using the best available science that we have, highlight what are the lower risk sites and, and how do you determine those? And we came up with some framework. Um, I can get into that a little bit if you want. Uh, right now, but it's um, basically if you're if you're what we did was we provided a framework for relative risk analysis based on two factors, um, one being legacy nitrogen loading, and the other being existing groundwater quality. And so, for example, if you think about a site that has good existing groundwater quality but high or medium legacy nitrogen loading. Uh, this may indicate that the legacy nitrogen has not yet moved through the system and therefore recharge could mobilize uh, a new flush of nitrate into the groundwater. And so this may or may not exceed the maximum contaminant level, depending on a variety of factors, such as dilution, right? Um, but regardless, this re represents kind of a higher risk recharge site since recharge activities could worsen water quality in the short, shorter term. But in contrast, if you think of a potential recharge site that already has poor groundwater quality, um, then this case, recharge is likely to flush out and dilute nitrate in the groundwater table much sooner than the no recharge scenario, because it's still moving through the system regardless of what we do. 
And so we found that recharge may in fact be a powerful tool in helping to clean up already contaminated groundwater on a shorter time scale than otherwise would have occurred. And just a little caveat here is that it's important to remember that when you're flushing nitrate away from one well, it might introduce it to another. So that's where an understanding of groundwater gradients um, and responses to recharge and pumping is really important. And we, we get into this, that a little bit in the papers. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to this. Uh, you know, so a lot of the driver for agriculture is, uh, you know, replenishing groundwater uh, for future supplies. Uh, but, you know, it impacts our agricultural communities and agriculture, um, you know, and it's, it's an agricultural topic. It's not a dairy topic, but I did hear you say some things that, um, you know, are kind of specific to dairy and some concerns that are specific to dairy that I'd heard on this early on. I, I, I like that sustainable conservation um, kind of has an open mind on this and is looking at uh, specific metrics, but um, I heard some conversations early on, you were talking about that legacy uh, nitrate concern. Some people were saying, you know, dairies are off limits. We don't even want to talk to them. And I, I gave some input in saying, I, I understand the concern, but it should be a site-specific assessment. You know, maybe that one field is owned by a dairy, but you know, conditions are different. Or there's another field that you really should stay away from. Um, and so, you know, while it's an agricultural general topic, uh, I, I did hear a couple things that, you know, come specifically to dairies. And then it wraps up another thing that we're working on, these whole, uh, you know, nitrate management zones that we're involved with, with CV salts. Um, and I, I can see this as a potential solution uh, to help communities with clean water through that CV salt and those nitrate management zones uh, that, you know, dairies and, and the rest of agriculture and all water quality permit holders are now, you know, working through and contributing to. So um, it, it, there's, you know, it's interesting how broad this is. There are a lot of aspects to this that you've kind of touched on, uh, you know, some of which are specific to dairy, but, you know, generally agriculture, um, you know, focused issues that we really have an interest in. So, Paul, I think you, you're spot on there. Uh, and as Aisha mentioned before, there are definitely sites that are more suitable for recharge than other sites. Uh, and so this is really about looking at different aspects on different sites. And that applies whether you're trying to compare one farm uh, as compared to another farm, or whether you're looking at your own farm and trying to decide between one part of your farm versus another part of the farm. Um, and for dairies, really, they should be thinking about the exact same thing that any other grower would be thinking about uh, as it relates to recharge. And then it just needs to be applied to the dairy context. Um, so as an example, if you think about one of the things that Asia mentioned that's really important to think about is uh, the legacy nitrate or nitrate loading, or in other words, how much nitrate might be in the soil uh, waiting to be uh, potentially moved down into the groundwater. Um, and if you think about dairies, um, lagoons and corrals might be areas where there might be higher levels of nitrate in those soils, just the nature of those parts of the dairy. Um, and that's supported by the research that the industry did over the course of many years. Um, for the crop acreage, uh, if you think about your, your silage acreage, um, or, or even if you have new almond acreages, any fields that have a history of applying uh, fertilizers and manures uh, at rates that are much higher than the crop end demand, the crop nitrogen demand, um, those might 
have higher concentrations of nitrate in the soil below the root zone. So those areas are, are probably riskier to do recharge and definitely should be approached with caution if you're looking at them. Um, the other area that Asia mentioned was current nutrient management. And that really is one of the most important things if you're thinking about doing recharge on active cropland is your current nutrient management. Um, and that's an area where um, you know, dairy silage fields in particular might be a challenge for many dairies because the nutrient efficiency um, tends to be lower uh, on silage fields than, than maybe some other crop types. And, um, and again, that's kind of been found with different research. So um, does that mean that this is impossible on a dairy? I don't think so. I think it's just, you know, dairies need to think uh, really carefully about, you know, what, what is currently going on on the dairy and what has been in the past and, um, and really look into those risk factors. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of interest on nutrient management on dairies right now uh, from a lot of perspectives, uh, you know, regulatory. Um, CDFA has set up a task force to look at that, uh, the whole nutrient management zones that I mentioned earlier. Um, so, you know, we're at a point, uh, you know, I think kind of a turning point and, uh, you know, where we're looking at making changes to that. And this is another place where that may benefit. Uh, it may make groundwater recharge more feasible on dairies uh, as a result of all that work we're doing on nutrient management. Exactly. And, and um, you know, we have not done research on this, but, you know, you could think theoretically, you might get a dairy to a place where, where this could work, right? Um, so first, I think you would need to think about um, how can you get your corn wheat rotation, get the nutrient use efficiency in that corn wheat rotation up really high. Um, and so that could be, um, you know, maybe installing the manure subsurface drip irrigation system that we worked on in partnership with Western United or maybe automated systems like Dr. Bali has been working on and demonstrating. And if you can get that nutrient use efficiency up really high uh, in your corn wheat rotation, and then you rotate into alfalfa and let the alfalfa scavenge up uh, whatever remaining nitrogen might be in the soil, um, you might be in a good place at some point where, where you could potentially think about doing recharge. But again, this is unknown. Um, so we haven't researched it. Uh, but there are, I think there are potentials. You just need to be really careful and make sure you have the information necessary to, to ensure you're not um, you know, causing any unintended consequences. This leads me to a question. It's um, kind of stepping back a little bit more to the beginning. We, we didn't um, you know, really discuss this. I, I think there's a lot of knowledge out there, a lot of interest out there. Um, but you know, the, the, the crops you were talking about in the rotations, what kind of crops are we talking about? I mean, are we talking, you know, uh, dormant trees and vines? Uh, is alfalfa in the picture? Are dairy forage crops uh, really a field um, that we might want to do this? I mean, you know, you have yield uh, considerations, you have crop injury considerations. Um, so, and, and you guys had talked about in um, a webinar recently about the two different types actually on field, where there's a field where there's a crop, or uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, using basins where it's not a cropped portion of a field, it's a corner of a field that's been set as a basin. Uh, maybe a little bit of talk about that, those two different kinds, and then uh, what crops are we talking about, and maybe specifically to dairy, 
um, you know, is, is a dairy winter forage crop appropriate or is alfalfa more appropriate? Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, recharge as a technique is pretty flexible. Um, you can have a lot of different objectives from your recharge, which can lead you, you know, to different types of fields. As far as um, crops, what we found from different farmers is crops are pretty resilient um, within a certain time frame. So you kind of want to avoid the growing season for things like crop injury, which also really aligns well with our with our water quality guidance, which is don't apply recharge during, you know, when you're applying uh, nutrients, right? It's just so it doesn't leach below the soils. And I think those two objectives align really well. Um, there's, you know, farmers who are willing to take more risk than others. And it's really, you know, on your, on your comfort level in terms of are you going to be applying and how late and for how long will you be applying recharged water? In terms of suitable crops, from a water quality perspective, which is what our work focused on is not so much the crop injury, but more about what are the water quality impacts. There are you know, definitely some crops that are more suitable than others. These are crops that just don't need a lot of nitrogen. So for instance, grapes or alfalfa are good ones. Um, there's also you know, site conditions, of course, whether you have sandy soils or uh, you know, tighter soils. So there's a whole bunch of, there's a host of considerations that we go over um, in our documents regarding how to reduce water quality risk. There's also other uh, documents out there. One I think was recently um, released by the Almond Board, California, about just kind of giving recharge guidelines um, for almond growers in particular. And that really goes over kind of the nuts and bolts of how do you do it? How do you do it in a way that doesn't injure your crop? So there's a growing amount of, of you know, work out there to assist growers in, in how to do recharge well. Um, and it's evolving. It's an exciting field right now. And I'll just add that, you know, there is uh, uh, almond orchards. So definitely they've been looking at this and there's a lot of work that's been going on and, and I think a lot of that has been in the kind of the winter period, um, the dormant season, um, for a variety of reasons, both crop help and, and nutrient application, among others. Um, and then Aisha did mention alfalfa, so I wanted to kind of maybe because dairies do grow alfalfa, wanted to kind of touch on that and clarify. You know, I think alfalfa is a very interesting crop for recharge um, because for for several reasons, but one is because they're, they're nitrogen fixers, right? So they can fix their own nitrogen and you don't necessarily need uh, to apply uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of synthetic or other nitrogen. And, and so I think that's just something to keep in mind when you think about an alfalfa field that's, that's on a dairy in a typical rotation um, that, you know, keeping in mind what uh, that past and kind of current uh, nutrient application is, uh, and whether it does fit more within that, you know, to what extent you're relying on the, the natural nitrogen kind of uh, fixation properties of alfalfa, or whether you're applying additional fertilizer. Okay. Uh, probably, you know, jumping us back to where we were in the conversation after uh, that step back. Um, so how do growers, and you know, this might be a dairy farmer, this might be, you know, some other farmer, 
um, that's interested in this, they're listening to this, uh, you know, there's, there's been interest around it. Um, how would they get started with this? Um, where do they look? Who do they talk to? Um, how, how might they get started with uh, trying to do recharge on their farm? I can start, and Aisha, if you can see if there's anything to add. Um, I would say first and foremost, talk to your irrigation district and your GSA or groundwater sustainability agency. Um, as Aisha mentioned before, um, Sigma was intended to be um, designed around local control and local implementation. So um, the different irrigation districts and GSAs are approaching this very differently and they're at different stages in kind of their decision-making around this. So, um, you know, get, get informed about what this is actually looking like uh, in your specific area, I'd say would be definitely a first step. Um, another would be to, um, you know, take a look at your nutrient management, talk to your crop advisor, um, you kind of get a sense of really good sense of how you're doing with your current nutrient management, um, as well as what your kind of historical, you know, nutrient management or loading might be um, on those on on your fields. Um, and then, of course, I would always say reach out to to Paul or Western United or, or anyone else that you go to um, to ask about um, these types of questions related to environmental um, and, and and water issues. Isha, did you have anything else to add? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, it, it is important to get involved in your local GSA um, if, you know, if you have the time or the ability to do that. I would say a good start would be to read our papers. Uh, you know, the nitrate brief that we have is really intended as a resource for growers in particular, as well as uh, water managers and communities. Um, it's really there to kind of get started. Um, and this is really about water quality. Of course, this is focused, this guidance is around water quality, but it gives you a little bit of idea of how to move forward, how to assess your own sites um, for that. Again, the almond board um, recharge guidance for almonds is also a good uh, resource. Uh, we're we're going to be producing some material later this year about more general recharge guidance, um, not just focusing on almonds. So that will be available later. Uh, yeah, just get kind of active in, in groundwater sustainability agencies if you can. And you know what you were saying earlier, Paul, about the kind of the nexus with the nutrient management zones, I think is a really important thing to think about. It's emerging, both of these programs are emerging, you know, are evolving at the same time. Uh, but they're generally in the same basins. Um, there's a lot of the same actors that are in, in both management spheres. And so really thinking about water quality in addition to water quantity uh, and not treating them separately. Um, they, they are linked, they're, they're not always linked, but they're linked in fundamental ways that um, I think all of us would do well to, to try to explore that linkage, uh, to, to try to you know, improve our water quantity issue while also improving water quality and vice versa. I, I think that's really the way forward. And I would just I, I would just add, I think Asia, you know, it's interesting that the the sigma and the CV salts are kind of uh, at that level. Um, but also I mean the dairies and farmers know this every day, right? The the, the nitrogen application and water application is linked, right? How do you deliver that nitrogen to your crops, you do it with water, right? So there, 
uh, it's it's impossible to uh, not look at how water and nitrogen and fertilization uh, are linked together. So, yeah, I, I think these are some important things. That, you know, when you're talking sigma and CV salts, um, I, I do see connections um, with some of these. You're trying to solve multiple issues with the same solution, and this is one of those that does seem to address multiple uh, issues. Uh, and so I, I think it's you know a great thing. There's a lot of interest, uh, maybe from for different reasons, uh, but we definitely have to uh, you know be smart about how we implement this. Um, that we're uh, you know moving towards better water quality and not having water quality impacts uh, is kind of what I've heard from you guys. Um, it's you know very important piece of the conversation. Um, also interesting, um, you know, kind of the limitation. So. There's you know, site-specific depending on soils, depending on uh, nutrient management, depending on what crop you're growing. So there's a lot of um, site-specific decisions to be making as you're moving forward with this. And, and as Brian mentioned, you know, maybe there's a part of your farm where it's appropriate and a different part uh, with a different soil type, different nutrient management, uh, where it's not uh, gonna work for you. And so, um, yeah, looking for that information uh, from sustainable conservation and others to try to guide you um, having that water available is important, so you've got to be someplace where uh, you can get those flood flows uh, also is, uh, you know, an important thing. So um, a lot of interesting things you guys have talked about here. Um, I, you know, it's uh, always a learning experience talking to you guys. Um, I don't know if, if there's more, um, any more other special considerations um, for dairy. I know we've talked about most of those. Uh, if there was anything else or um, that you guys wanted to wrap up with. I don't have anything specific to dairies. I would just say, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about risks and water quality impacts. And I would just say the reason we're thinking about this is because uh, there is a big positive potential here. There's a, there is a very unique opportunity to use recharge uh, to benefit uh, the, the quality of, of the groundwater. Um, and to dilute nitrate if we can get enough clean water into the ground where we do get that dilution. So I just want to maybe end on, it seems like we've talked a lot about risk, um, but we're talking about risk as a way to realize a very positive opportunity here and, and managing that risk so that we can see the benefit both to groundwater supplies as well as groundwater quality for, for agricultural and, and people in, in our communities. Yeah, and I would just say, um, you know, there's a lot of work going on as we speak. Uh, there's there's some folks, I think, out of UC Davis that are trying to prepare a decision-making tool on how to do recharge on your, your site. That's really based on even the more, more recent available science. Um, there's, you know, thinking about how much water would you need to apply on a field in order to not have any water quality impacts. So what is that ratio of nitrogen loading to you know, amount of water applied? Um, so that's, that's evolving as well. Um, so I think in the coming year or two, we're just gonna have much better tools uh, to offer folks to really make these decisions. And, and I agree with Ryan, there's a lot of potential here um, for really improving our water quantity and quality. Uh, and we just wanna make sure that we're doing that correctly so that we don't have you know, unintended consequences. 
And also just want to end with the, the importance of really including everyone at the table. Uh, a lot of our work on water quality was really um, centering community concerns about drinking water. And I, it, it, this is a really important um, piece of the puzzle is, is people's drinking water access um, and even short-term impacts can you know, really affect them. But I think what you'll find is that you know, a lot of folks are really worried about their water future and might see that, okay, maybe in the short term, we're gonna have some water quality impacts, but it might be worth it in the long term to have actual water, right? So, um, but you know, working with communities on that um, to site appropriate recharge projects and, and get buy-in, I think it's, it's really a, a great way to go forward. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, if you've got any final thoughts, um, I think we can link your papers. I mean, that's a big part of uh, what we're talking about. There's this resource. Um, you know, if you were uh, interested in this podcast and the things we talked about, um, Sustainable Conservation has this information and there's other places also that have information. I think we can link those um, so that folks can get a hold of them um, and you know go deeper into that. This was certainly uh, you know just um, a, a little bit. Uh, if you guys have any closing thoughts uh, and if folks who have interest, they can follow up on this more also. I just want to say thank you, Paul and Western United for uh, the interest in this topic and for our ongoing partnership. Uh, looking forward to, to continuing that collaboration moving forward. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for being on. Uh, we always appreciate it. Our members are um, you know, looking to be kept up to speed on what's going on. And this is certainly a hot topic right now in the middle of a drought and, you know, with Sigma, um, a lot of interest in this topic right now. So thank you. And thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Special thanks to Paul Souza for his part in organizing and executing this week's podcast. And a big shout out to our guests from Sustainable Conservation, Ryan and Ayesha. We hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to Seen and Heard on your favorite podcasting platform. And remember, if you have questions, comments, or content requests for the podcast, please don't hesitate to email myself, mlima, at wudairies.com, or my colleague Darby Toth, D-A-R-B-Y, at wudairies.com, and we will be happy to get those requests in right away. We hope you all have a great week, and we will see you next week. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, 
and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.